Welcome to another episode of Records Revisited, podcast dedicated to the magic of music. I'm the DJ, your MC, the host on the East Coast. I'm Ben Montgomery. Joining me is the man who realized that the best way to get by was to do his own thing. And if you if they don't like you, well, there's only one thing he will say, and it rhymes with bucket. Here's my co-host from the left coast, Wayne Fugate. <laughs> Hold on, Ben. I mean. So for this episode, we have a special guest. I um, just somewhat quoted one of his songs off of his new record called I Win. Please welcome to the podcast, Adam Wright. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. All right. So premise of our podcast, fairly simple. We talk about music, but as we do at the beginning of each episode, I ask the all-important question. I'm going to start with Wayne. What T-shirt are you wearing? Well... I picked a shirt because number one, if I'm going to wear a different shirt every time, I got to I got to go back and I got to get some of these old shirts out. Um, and everybody who's been to Hawaii knows the best way to get souvenirs is to go to Aloha Stadium at the swap meet mm-hmm. and get like 12 shirts for five dollars. So the what I would consider the title track of this album has this great sunset Pacific Ocean feel. And so I'm wearing one of my North Shore Aloha Stadium swap meet Hawaii shirts. Yeah, there you go. All right. Nice. How about you, Adam? What T-shirt are you wearing? I'm wearing a Buddy Holly T-shirt from a uh, Buddy Holly tribute record that a friend of mine and actually my publisher um, produced. Um, and uh, it's a it's it's got a great silhouette of his face on the front, and you know it's mainly sunglasses and and hair. And then on the back it says, "If you're gonna wear glasses, you know, dot dot dot." And it's a, it's a favorite of mine. Love it. Cool. Love Buddy Ollie. Oh, man, yeah. All right. Uh, I'm wearing a shirt I've worn a few times, Wayne. So I'm wearing my Jason Isbell, John Prine t-shirt. There you the, go. Uh, what what you have go. I done to help campaign t-shirt? So, yeah, there you go. Nice. Good one. Yeah. Um, all right. So I should have said in the <laughs> intro, Adam, um, that you are two-time Grammy nominated, Adam Wright. Yeah, I know. I, I, that's the way I'm going to start introducing myself. I just, uh, <laughs> I just, I haven't seen very many people this year, but yeah, I'm going to start. That's my one of my resolutions. That's how I'm going to introduce myself. Love it. All right. So, so first, first nomination was it for the Leanne Womack song, or was it for the Alan Jackson? The, the first one was for the Alan Jackson song. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, and then there was a couple of years. Well, one year I took one year off <laughs> from Grammy nominations, and then I had another one for the Leanne uh, song. I like to say that I lost two Grammys. All right. Well, who do, do you remember who you lost to? Oh yeah, the first one was to a Carrie Underwood song um, called right. "Blown Away," and uh, it was you know kind of a em- empowerment. Uh, tragedy yep. song, and you know, there, I think there was, you know, there's no way we're going to win against that. And then, um, man, I don't remember um, who the Leanne song lost to. I should. Okay. You would think I would remember something like that, but I don't. <laughs> All right. All right. I, I bet they. I bet they remember. I bet whoever won remembers. No, they, don't. <laughs> they don't. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, your, your bio also said that you co-produced Alan Jackson's critically acclaimed the bluegrass album. So, um, do you consider yourself a bluegrass performer? Well, um, I mean, not really, but oddly enough, I've just had a number one song in bluegrass 
which so I guess that qualifies me, but I just I never thought I could play fast enough to consider myself a bluegrass yeah. <laughs> a bluegrass artist. What was the song? Uh it's called The Edge. And uh Okay. Have you heard that? Yeah, the one that just came came out a couple weeks ago. Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah it was uh it was a number one and then it kinda it's still bumping around in the top five. I think uh they take a week off and do Christmas, you know, programming this week. So yeah. I think it's I don't think it's on the chart right now, but um, some friends of mine, uh, Mylon Miller and Buddy Melton, uh, Buddy Melton's a singer for a really popular bluegrass band called Balsam Range. And, yeah. um, and they, you know, they win all the awards and they're just, they're wonderful people, super talented. And, uh, Buddy and Mylon have a little label, bluegrass label. And they said, Hey, what do you think about, you know, putting out a single? And I said, well, what, what do I got to do? And he goes, nothing, man. We'll just, we'll find a song you want to do and we'll, we'll work it up and you come record it. We'll put it out. Piece of cake. And, uh, it was the easiest thing I've ever done in the music business. And like uh, the uh, second week out, I think it was like number one. It was like, it's just a weird, weird, easy, wonderful thing. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Well, I'd tell, I'd, I'd say like bluegrass number ones are kind of like regular number ones, except you don't make any money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you just make a lot of friends that can play really well. Yeah. Uh, which is, that's good. And I kind of said, uh, I used to say that I'm not a big bluegrass fan, but I think mm-hmm. maybe I'm rethinking that sentiment because we had, we had Brennan Lee on a yeah. few months ago. Mm-hmm. I really dig her. And, yeah, her, for and sure. her new album is really great. And then Sturgill. Yep. Uh-huh. put out some really great, amazing bluegrass records this year. Yeah, man. Um, so I'm, yeah. I'm rethinking. I'm rethinking that maybe I maybe I do like bluegrass or maybe I've evolved. I don't know. One of the two. I'll tell you what I find. Uh, I think bluegrass is like most every other genre of music in that, uh, you know, for real listeners, discerning listeners, there will be a sliver of it that is really great. And a large part of the pie you can do without. Uh, I find that true for all, all genres and, you know, bluegrass not being any exception. Like a lot, a lot of it, I just, I don't care to listen to, but man, there's, you know, there's a, there's a pretty big piece of it there that is just, I couldn't live without. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Did I read correctly that you either wrote or co-wrote Brandy Clark's bigger boat? Co-wrote. Yeah. Brandy and I wrote that together. Um, we both have a Jaws obsession, and uh, my my oldest kid had a Jaws obsession at the time. And um, I mean, we we had probably been watching that movie daily for months at the time that Brandy and I wrote. And she mentioned something about Bigger Boat, wanting to write a song about Bigger Boat. And I thought, man, this is timely because uh, I'm knee deep in Jaws land. So. Yeah. And man, she's she's so cool and so much fun to write with. She's just she's got a great brain, and I just you know she makes good records. It's just it was just one of those things. And then yeah, Randy Newman ended up on it of all things, you know. That's awesome as well. Yeah, yeah, nice feather in my cap. Yeah. So um, thanks to doing research for your episode. So oh yeah, I, man. I discovered Waylon Payne. As well, oh yeah, yeah. You did some work with him on um, all the trouble, right? Yeah. Well, matter of fact, uh, the first time I met Waylon, um, we were headed out to um, um, Palm Springs to go write with Leanne for that record okay. that, that, that that song ended up on, and I I I'd, I'd, I'd never met him. I didn't know anything about him, 
And uh, so I'm at the air. I'm supposed to meet him at the airport and I'm at the airport at, you know, waiting in line and I can't find Waylon anywhere or in, anybody that looks like a songwriter. And I called uh, Frank, who's my uh, publisher. And I said, man, I don't, I don't see Waylon anywhere. Can you help me find him? And he said, well, he, I don't think he has a phone. Uh, you'll know him when you find him. <laughs> and so uh, I get on the plane and uh, I'm kind of looking around and I look at, to the back of the plane and I see uh, these gold sparkly cowboy boots hanging out in the aisle in the very back of the plane. And I thought, man, if, if that ain't Waylon, I don't know who is. And uh, sure enough, there he was. <laughs> That's how we met. And we went out to Palm Springs and with uh, with our buddy Mondo Signs and um, wrote a pile of songs with Leanne, you know, just out there in the palm trees. It was, man, it was just a, it was a great way uh, to write for a record. Yeah. Um, looking at your bio, so what did you what did you do for Garth and Tricia? I wrote um, I wrote a song called uh, Gosh, what was the name of the song? Uh, man, I'll think of it. Kind of an up-tempo thing. You think I would remember that, too? I write a lot of songs, and unfortunately, I just can't remember a lot of them. Uh, I'll think of it. But it, anyway, I wrote, I wrote a song that he recorded, and then uh, my wife and I wrote a song that uh, that Trisha recorded. Very good. Yeah. All right. So so let's go back because uh, I've been asking about all these co-writes that you've been doing. So t- tell me yeah. where you're from. I'm from uh, I was born in Noonan, Georgia and uh, lived. Okay. It's, it's about 30, 40 minutes south of Atlanta. And uh, it was a small town when I grew up there. And then, you know, after the Olympics uh, in 96, you know, Atlanta kind of swallowed everything within an hour yeah. of it. So everything got a little bigger and more metropolitan. And Noonan is, I still wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call it metropolitan, but it's a lot bigger than it was when I was there. So um, how far, how far south is it like on the way to Macon? Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's, um, it's probably a third of the way to Macon from Atlanta. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah. Right, right down 85. Like when you, when you get through Atlanta and it splits, you know, 75, 85, you stay on yep. 85 and you'll go right through Noonan. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. So what, what were you listening to growing up? Oh man. You know, I was a weird kid in that my dad's record collection, well, I guess that's not that weird for musicians, but it was weird amongst people that were just wanting to play football. Um, I was eating up with this record collection, man. It was, uh, he loved the Beach Boys and uh, the Rolling Stones, um, Simon and Garfunkel, the Righteous Brothers, uh, Chuck Berry, the Kingsman. And, uh, man, I was just – Chuck Berry just blew my lid when I was a kid. I just thought that was the, that was it. That was the be-all end. All. Matter of fact, I, I was playing piano. My dad's a piano player. My granddad's a piano player. And I was a piano player doing uh, classical concerts. And, you know, they weren't very good, but I was doing them, you know, classical competitions when I was a kid. And I heard Chuck Berry and that was it. Like I heard Johnny B. Good and I thought, well, I'm, I'm on the wrong instrument. I need a guitar. And uh, my dad uh, took me to a pawn shop and got me a, a little uh, a little black Stratocaster copy, you know, a Lotus copy for, I mean, it was probably 75 bucks and a little amp and a chord. And man, that was it. That was all she wrote for me. So it was, it was a lot of, you know, 50s, 60s rock and, uh, and yeah. songwriter music, you know. 
And you've got musical connections in the family because I read Alan Jackson is your uncle. Yep, that's right. And, and so there was there was a whole countryside, you know, of my upbringing too. My mem- my parents were really into country music at that time. Like he he had, did not listen to his records anymore when I was getting into all of that stuff, and they they were pretty much listening to easy listening or, or country music, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I was just I was just going to ask when when the country thing came into, to- uh, you know, I, was, I just I grew up around it and it was always on the radio. And uh, honestly, I, 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 when I was growing up, I, I never heard Alan sing. I, one time I heard him sing at a rehearsal uh, just because he was, you know, they were younger than my parents. And so they were just, you know, they weren't doing the things that we all were doing. Yeah. They were young people living their lives. You know, he was playing out in bars and stuff. So I, I just wasn't around it that much. And, uh, and it wasn't until something was happening, uh, that I actually saw him perform like in a professional setting, you know? And I mean, I was around him a lot, but I just didn't hear him play, you know? Right. And then he's so private anyway. He never was like, Hey, check out, check out this song I got, you know? Um, <laughs> he was just shy about it, I guess. But, um, man, it was so exciting to watch all that happen. And I would go up and stay with him, you know, cause you know, I was a guitar player, and uh, he would invite me up and I'd get to hang out on recording sessions. And um, he'd, you know, if I were staying with him for a weekend and he had a gig, uh, you know, in Atlantic City, he'd fly me to Atlantic City with him and then, you know, strap a guitar on me and let me get up on stage and play. It was uh, it was really cool for a, a teenager. You know, I didn't get paid. <laughs> <laughs> I think I don't think he paid me. I said, I need to ask somebody about that. address that. <laughs> yeah. When when did you realize that he was kind of a big deal? Man, pretty soon. I mean, it happened pretty well. I mean, I, I say it happened quickly. He was up here five years and heard no from everybody a few times, you know, yeah. uh, until uh, until it clicked. And and then that was it. I mean, his, his first single died, but his second single was a number one. And then it was just a, a string of number ones and, and uh, gold and platinum records after that, you know. So when did when did you decide this is this is what I'm going to do as well? I'm going to go I'm going to go see what I can do in the industry. Did you did you think about doing songwriting first? Did you think that you were going to put out your own records? Like what was what was the journey like? Um, I started you know playing guitar. I mean I was you know 13 I guess when I started really playing guitar and getting serious about it. And then you know I had little bands in high school. Um, so I was always, I was always, it was all I was really ever doing. I mean, I, you know, I, I did as much school as I could to not, you know, get beat by my parents (laughs) and the rest was just all guitar. And, uh, and then, you know, I I wasn't even going to go to college. Like we talked about earlier, you know, it's kind of, it's always a girl, you know, uh, this girl that I was dating was going to go to college up in North, uh, North of Atlanta. And so I was like, well, I guess I'll just go there and hang out with her. And I did, and I, you know, of course we broke up, and then I was like, well, I'm not staying at college, you know, without the girl. So, uh, bounced around Georgia for a little while playing music and, you know, varying degrees of success, but just playing. That's all I wanted to do. It's all I was serious about. And I would wash dishes at whatever restaurant I could wash dishes at, you know, just to pay rent somewhere. And then, and then I met, uh, my wife, Shannon, um, her cousin actually put me in, her cousin saw me play at this bar I was playing in, you know, and I was playing in this bar Fridays and Saturdays had like a little electric kind of blues trio folk thing. And, uh, 
she saw me play and said, uh, and said, man, you, my cousin plays in Atlanta and she's just lost her guitar player. Um, why don't you go play with her? And I thought, yeah, sure. I should do that. And she gave me her number and I called her. I mean, I, as soon as I heard her voice, I must've been really lonely. I don't know. But as soon as I heard her voice, I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this. We're going to do this. And I just showed up blindly at one of her gigs to fill in for her uh, other guitar player. And that was it, man. I just never left. You know, that was 1998. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And she, man, and she was making money as a musician. I mean, she just, she had, she had it figured out. She was playing by herself, you know, playing all these bars, dragging a PA system around and like making good money. That was what she was doing for a living. And it never occurred to me that you could pull that off. And so I started hanging around with her and, you know, that's what we did forever. And then finally decided to move to Nashville. Uh, everybody in Atlanta said we were, we weren't rock and roll enough for Atlanta that we needed to go to Nashville. And so we went to Nashville. Gotcha. And how long you been in Nashville now? Uh, we moved here in 2002. Okay. So yeah, 18 years now feels like about 118 years. But uh, <laughs> That's just 2020 talking. Yeah, it is just 2020 talking. Yeah. So, so how do you decide what songs you keep and which, which songs you give to other artists? Man, it's become pretty clear. Uh, and I, maybe that was a process or I don't know, maybe it's always been that way. Like I pretty much know when I'm, when I have the idea, if it's, if it's something I would do. And well, and I mean, if I were doing like a, you know, a songwriter night, you know, I would play a lot of things that other people have recorded, uh, just so people will clap, you know, but, uh, if, if for something that I would actually record and, and sing on like on, you know, an album that I was making for myself, you know, sometimes that's different because, well, man, if I'm co-writing with someone and I, uh, um, I write by myself a lot. Um, but when I'm co-writing with someone, I mean, the, the fun thing for me is to help is to give them a song, you know, to get, get something that they want to record. Yeah. Um, I know what I like and I get, you know, I get tired of myself pretty quickly. So writing with somebody else, it's just fun for me to kind of jump in their brain and figure out what, what they want to say and how they want it to sound. Like that's, that's exciting to me. And then I can always go back and wallow in my own filth and kind of, you know, do what I'm doing. But um, if I'm co-writing, I, I like it to be for the other person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm glad that you at least kept a song like rhymes with bucket. <laughs> you know, you know, what's funny. I, man, I tried to pitch that. Uh, I pitched really? it to a, oh yeah, man, I pitched it to a bunch of people, and one there was an A and R person at one of the labels in town, and uh, she said, "You know, this is kind of like the other one." And I was like, "What do you mean the other one?" And she's like, "Well, there's another one that's that's got like a you know the, that's got a, the bucket thing," and uh, I was like, "Well, I've never heard it. What, you know, who is it?" And uh, she told me who it was, a really big artist, and it had come out like a few years ago. And I was like, well, oh, I'm, I missed it. And she's like, and she said, if this one had been, if this one were brilliant, it might not be a problem. But I just, I don't know. I just don't think it's going to be. And I was like, oh, man, I got to hear this other one. It must be really good. And I went and listened to it, and it's not that good. <laughs> I think mine, I think mine was better. I don't know. But uh, his was already out. So, all right. 
yeah, that might free, that might be that might be it for that song on the music row front, but I think it'll live on in other arenas, maybe. Ab- absolutely, yeah I, yeah. I mentioned it in Wayne's intro, and I texted him this morning. I'm like, I'm pretty sure this is going to become like your theme song. <laughs> I hope so. It man, it has become my uh, my mantra. And if they don't like you, then well, there's really only one thing to say. And it rhymes with a bucket But that ain't what it is It rhymes with a bucket Put them on the list Cause there's a whole world of things Worth worrying about Like your family, your friends Your health and your house But if it ain't I was telling I was telling a, somebody the other day uh, that was much younger than me. I was telling them that I feel like I feel like you spend a lot of time when you're younger trying to not care what people think and maybe convincing yourself that you don't care. But at some point, you really don't care, and it's not it's not it's not because you're trying. You just like you just quit. You know, you just quit caring what other people think because you don't have the time and energy to do it, you know, and it's a man, it's a wonderful place to be. Oh, yeah. But do you feel like once you get to that point, do you feel like that's when the creative juices kick into a different gear? Absolutely. I do. Yeah. You, you, and uh, there's a, a freedom if you if you let go of what especially like you know song as a songwriter in Nashville which is you know that's that's pretty much all of my creative energy is put into that um if you take the I mean, there are some parameters on that and for a good reason you know you've got huge you know venture capitalists trying to get things on the radio and make their money back and their feet are to the fire because some guy in you know in Europe owns the whole thing and right. uh yeah, there's a lot of money on the line and a lot of people's jobs on the line. So there are some parameters to that thing. And I don't mean just, uh, you know, obscenity, but there's there's formulas, man. You know, they're, they're selling a thing and you get too far outside of that and there's it gets risky. And uh, you don't realize how boxed in you are until you uh, until you take the box away. And if you if you can step away from that machinery and take the box away and then it's like you're it's like you're 14 again and there are no rules to songwriting except that you have tools and some experience now. And that's a man, that's an exciting place to be. Yeah. yeah this is um, Wayne. Uh, this kind of reminds me of the conversation we had last week with Josh Kelly. Mm. Yeah. Cause, cause uh, you know, he, we, I, I was letting him know that uh, I thought that his, his latest record was, the best one he's ever done. And he's like, oh, you know wow. what? I, I, um, I, I just said, I didn't care anymore. About six years ago, I just yeah. said, you know what? I'm just going to make the music that I want to listen to. And I don't, you know, I don't care about it, anything else. And he's like, and I think that I've done my best work over the last couple of years. 
So yeah, yeah, yeah man. And I don't. I'm not sure, man. I mean, I just how else can you do it, really? I mean, there are. Uh, I, I guess I do. I know some people that that are strategic, uh, and and yeah. I think they're well, they're more successful at that, you know, than I am, certainly. But it's never worked for me, you know, trying to trying to hit a target. You know, uh, yeah. Yeah. it's just the only thing that's ever worked for me is is doing things that I really like, and then uh, the people that are into that, you know, come find me. Yeah, you've never you've never said so. I'm. Today I'm going to write a Florida Georgia line song. I, I mean, I have not for those guys, but I mean, not, not, not that I wouldn't. I mean, you know, I yeah. mean, I, you know, I, I wish them all the success and happiness that the, that they can afford. But I, it's never the times that I have tried to do that. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. And you you're left with this song that goes nowhere. You know, like if you if you if you tailor this thing and either stifle a certain part of you or exaggerate a part of you that's not genuine to try and achieve this thing. And it doesn't it doesn't go to the place that it was intended for. Then there's not there's nowhere for it to go, man. You just it's 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 gone. Yeah. Uh, And I've never it's, it's just never worked for me. I'm sure it's worked for people before, but the times that I've done it. It doesn't work, and then 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 you're, it's like a chink in your armor, you know. Like I think one of the things that, if I do have a good reputation, one of the things is this is that, uh, you know, there's a, just a certain uh, somewhat original, and you know, I've, I've I've got a purpose other than um, fitting in, you know, and uh, yeah. and it, it, you you can chink that armor up, man. If you you know if you're not careful, you gotta kind of you gotta be you, man. You know, Wayne, did you get a chance to listen to Adam's record? Not all of it. Uh, what's funny, and I, I don't want to pander, but it does have a, while it has this old country feel, it ha, it, it's, it doesn't, it sounds almost timeless. And I, and Darlene was the one that stood out to me and I don't know what it is, but oh, yeah. I love songs titled with women's names, a la Allison, yeah. Jolene, Rhiannon, yeah. Angie. I just, I, I yeah. mean, it it fit right in with that, uh, and I, I yeah, mm-hmm. I, what I I listened to probably the first seven or eight songs and really really enjoyed it. Oh man, thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, Darlene's my favorite on the record. It's great, man. A, a lot of people like that, um, which you know I got a kick out of. I, I, I was, somebody asked me about that song the other day, and I told them that it it took a surprisingly long time to write to be such a simple song, you know, it's just a guy, you know, talking to a girl, but I spent a lot of time on it. Uh, just because I thought that I liked the guy, you know, I liked the character of the guy and I wanted, I wanted there to be some, you know, some, a little bit of some details and some furniture in there that kind of just, I don't know, seemed like the guy to me, but it wasn't as quick as it seems. Maybe it should have been, I should probably, (laughs) I should probably work harder, I guess. <laughs> yeah, man. Whatever you did, it worked. Well, it's getting kind of late and I'm kind of tired of waiting. Maybe I'll just lay down on your front porch swing. And if you've been out wooing, when you get home, I'll ruin whatever y'all was doing. I love you, darling, darling. 
take you out to dinner I'll start talking sweet and tender Darling, if you in there, girl, I need a little love, darling I met you in a screen Is Darlene a fictional character or based on somebody? It's fictional. I mean, it's it's kind of based on some people that I, you know, I've, I've worked with. Uh, yeah. Man, I just I had a million jobs. I mean, it's like my wife laughs all the time at all the jobs that I had. Man, I mean, I've just I've done everything, man. Everything you can think of. I mean, just all, and I hated every minute of it. every one of those jobs, man. I, I used to I worked at a dunk. I made donuts at a Dunkin' Donuts. Like you know, I was like the graveyard shift. Made donuts with a, a girl from. Um, a girl from South Africa that, that she didn't speak English. And then a, a guy from Iran who, uh, who spoke Farsi and this other woman who spoke English, but, but didn't speak. She was like 60 years old and she just never spoke. She ate a ton of donuts and she was like so skinny. It was weird. And the, we, the four of us would go make donuts all night long. And this was in Atlanta and, uh, and none of us would talk to each other. Because we couldn't. It was it was a real surreal job. I smelled like a donut for, you know, months. It was pretty interesting. We just listened to the radio. We just listened to classic rock radio. My first night. job was working at a Winchell's Donuts. I think Wayne. And then he got me my first job there too. Wow, wow. there you go, man. We're like a, we're like the donut crew, man. <laughs> we should open up a donut shop. Uh, I'd be all right with that. I don't think my <laughs> wife would be very happy if I did that. <laughs> well, I probably wouldn't either. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. So, so, so looking at your record, so, um, going back to what you were saying about being the dishwasher, is there, mm-hmm. is there any of those songs that is written from, uh, the, the, uh, a guy's perspective, a dishwasher's perspective? Oh man. Probably, uh, man. I'd have to look at the record and see. I've just kind of, I yeah. kind of forgot. They're probably all. I mean, I still feel like that guy. Like even when I'm doing things in the music business, I still feel like the guy uh, washing dishes in the back of the restaurant that nobody talks to because I'm just the I'm the lowly dishwasher. Um, let's see. I mean, probably yeah. Rhymes with bucket. Probably down on the e for sure. Um, yeah. and sonically, sonically, yeah, because man, I, when I was washing dishes, you know, for long stretches of time, I mean like, you know, long periods of life, um, just bouncing around restaurants, you know, you, you always have a little radio, they always have a little jam box, you know, set back there for the dishwasher to try to keep him slightly happy because man, if that, if that part of the restaurant backs up, <laughs> things get sideways oh, yeah. fast, yeah. man. Oh, yeah. so you got to stay on top, especially during a rush. You got to stay on top of your stuff, man. And, uh, man, it was like CCR and JJ Kale and stuff like that. Like that's, that's, I just mainline that stuff, man. That was just my, my uh, work music, you know, and, yeah. uh, the sound of this, the, the grooviness of all of that and the, and, um, uh, and how dry some of it was too, I thought was, I didn't put any reverb on this record cause I wanted it to be just kind of raw like that. I didn't want it. I didn't want to like a, I didn't want to create a false space about it, you know, cause it was just me and a, in a, you know, just a crappy tiny room doing this stuff, you know, with the only microphone I had. And that's just kind of what I wanted it to sound like, you know? It's great. It's great. All right. Um, so Adam, tell us what record you chose to revisit on this episode. Shangri-La, uh, the Mark Knopfler masterpiece. 
uh, from uh, I think it was 2004 yep. yeah, when it came out. Yeah. Um, and uh, man, it just, I, I'm just I I for the songwriting performances and uh, and the and the recording. I mean, I just I don't know, man. Top to bottom, I just I, I'm I'd, you'd be hard pressed. I'd be hard pressed to come up with a better a better a better group of tunes, man. You know, so I don't even know where to begin on this. It's <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a Dire Straits fan. Yeah, I have I have multiple vinyl of of Dire Straits in my collection. Yeah, I'm on I'm on record of saying that Romeo and Juliet is probably in my top five. Yeah, songs of all time. Like, yeah, one of the greatest love songs ever, man. Yeah, one of the greatest songs ever written, mm-hmm. and everybody knows it. Yeah, right, right, right. Everybody and their dog has tried to to to, to cover that song. Some with mm-hmm. varying degrees of success, and others maybe should not have tried it all but um uh, but i i feel like i've i've not listened enough to mark's solo stuff oh, like man, I, yeah. I i def i definitely have listened to the the album that he's done with emmy lou harris mm-hmm. yeah i mean because it's emmy lou i mean right right she, she's yeah awesome. the queen yeah but i don't know if i've spent enough time with his solo record so were were you a Dire Straits fan back in the day? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was you know it was kind of you couldn't avoid it really. You know, I mean, they were so yeah. big in the eighties. You know, it was just when I was a a kid, it was just. I mean, they were just huge. I don't know. I think a friend of mine, uh, uh, a musician buddy of mine, I think he's the one who turned me on to Shangri La. And said, uh, and said, you need to check this out. And it just, man, it blew my top. Just the the depth of the writing, uh, why he was writing, like, well, just to, you know, topically, it was just these little biographies. You know, it was just, it was just, it was so interesting to me, and and so well done. And you know, of course, the guitar playing and, and his understated vocal you know, uh, it lends itself to that, to, you know, character writing and, and singing in character, that kind of grumbly, uh, thing that he does with his voice. I mean, it's just, I don't know, man, to me, it's just, I don't, he's the best, I think he's the best living songwriter, um, which is, you know, a goofy thing to say, you know, the best of anything. But, uh, for me, he's, he's certainly, I just think he's a genius, man. And, uh, and that band, uh, I know some of those guys, and I've heard a lot of, you know, I've, I've worked with them, you know, in the studio and I'm, I'm always talking about Knopfler stuff because I'm just so eaten up with it. And, uh, and they feel the same way, you know, and they're, and they're, they've been touring with him for, you know, 20 something years and, and they're kind of in awe of, uh, the songs that they get to play and, uh, and the records they get to make, you know, with him, which is a, which is a cool thing to hear, you know? Yeah, doing research for this, so looking at the personnel on this record is, like, I, I started looking at the names. I'm like, the name sounds familiar. And then mm-hmm. when you start doing research, you go, oh, yeah, yeah. he did that. So yeah. Richard Bennett, yeah. who plays, who's the other guitarist for, for this record. Yep. So he, he performed with Neil Diamond for 17 years. Yep. 
has worked with everybody. Everybody. Like Billy, Billy Joel, Barbara Streisand, Vince Gill. Yeah. Um, he's also produced records. Yeah. So, and this is where I think that I knew his name because he, he has produced records for Steve Earle and mm-hmm. Demi Lou Harris. Yeah. Um, and he also, Wayne, he co-wrote possibly my favorite Neil Diamond song, mm-hmm. Forever in Blue Jeans. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Isn't that crazy? That's a great song. Yeah. It's no Sweet Caroline, but yeah, I know. <laughs> but yeah. everybody picks Sweet Caroline. <laughs> yeah. The rest of the guys. So you've got Guy Fletcher, yep. who um, he worked with Mark back in Dire Straits. He was with Mark. Um, I think he he came on board with Brothers in Arms. Uh, did he? Yeah, that's uh, that sounds about right. Yeah, but he is he is in the rock and roll hall of fame as a member of dire straight. So I know, didn't I know that. Yeah, yeah, man. He's and it, by all account, everyone that talks about that guy says he's uh, just uh, brilliant at like everything from piano playing to engineering to tennis. Like they said, the guy can just do anything. It's, uh, and, and he's like really good looking, which is just, just not fair. Really. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> fair. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Uh, you got Glenn Wharf. Who, yeah is bass guitarist yeah um, and i noticed he's worked with your uncle so oh did, yeah do you, know, do you know glenn i do know glenn i know glenn very well i know richard really well too uh i'm not okay. that's not i'm not trying to uh <laughs> brag about it because they if you ask them they would probably say who i don't know <laughs> but uh but man i i love both of those guys so much and uh um i talk to richard a lot i see glenn more uh just working you know just working in the studio with him i've worked on a few projects over the past four or five years that glenn's been a part of and um man he he, richard too i mean they're just they're wonderful people to be around uh deep and funny and um you know well read and well traveled and 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 dangerously good at the instrument they're holding i mean you know arguably the the best at what they're doing and that's an odd thing about that band is that that touring band um you know, when they were doing Shangri, then it changed a little bit, but man, everybody there was the best, you know, they, they were a list at what they were doing. And, uh, and Mark just, you know, kind of came to Nashville and saw these guys and went, you're coming with me, you know? And we haven't even talked about the drummer. Yeah. No kidding. Yeah. Cromwell. Yeah. So Chad Cromwell, um, he worked extensively with Neil Young. Mm-hmm. So he's he's on Freedom, Prairie Wind, Living with War, um, and then, of course, working with Mark Knopfler. Yep. But he's also worked with um, Willie Nelson, Jackson Brown, Peter Frampton, Bonnie Raitt. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Um, Stevie Nicks, Trisha Yearwood, Miranda, uh, Lady A. I mean, so... Yeah, he's he's no slouch. I mean, people want to work with this. Dude. Yeah, no, I mean, he's just he's one of the best drummers alive. Yeah, you know? uh, Paul Franklin was on that record. Um, That's right. You got to listen hard to hear him, but he's on there. Uh, yeah, they kind of uh, they, they, the steel doesn't make doesn't poke its head up a lot, but it's on there. Yeah, there's a few songs. Yeah, there's a few songs. Yeah, and yeah, and Paul Paul is um, part of the Musicians Hall of Fame. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, I mean, he kind of he is pedal steel. Yeah, not as 
not a slouch there either. Yeah. Um, what else do we have to say? Oh, all right. So this is fourth studio record from, from Knopfler was released in 2004. One thing that I did, did get from the research, um, he was supposed to tour for the prior record Mm -hmm. and then got, got hurt in a motorbike accident Mm -hmm. where he broke his collarbone, shoulder blade, and also broke seven ribs. Yeah. And so he did not play for like seven months after, after that, while he was trying to recover. So this was, this was kind of his record to get back to it. Right. And, um, I, I wonder if that had any, anything to do with, um, I don't know. It feel the, the whole record feels very serious. Yeah. Yeah, the song, give or, the give songs. Or, give or take a couple songs. Give, right. There, there's a couple songs that are fun, but for the most part, it's a pretty serious record. And I wonder if, you know, you go through that and you have a little brush with mortality, if that changes a, a little bit of your perspective. Yeah. And, and uh, writing about some of the people that he was writing about, you know, Sonny Liston and Ray Kroc and like in the, in the, um, the uh, the mob thing in uh, five fifteen. I wonder if he was just laying around reading and thinking <laughs> and writing. You know what I mean? When he wasn't when he, uh, when he was laid up, because man, it's a it's informed. I mean, it's well informed. All of these songs are. Yeah, that's For that's sure. the thing that to me, he's such an excellent storyteller. But mm-hmm. the details, and I, I bring it up in several of these songs. It's. Not only are the details factual, I mean, they're actual mm-hmm. facts in these stories, right. but he he picks just the right ones to to fill to to be for you to be able to fill in some of the gaps on your own or or be so interested that you w- look up the Wikipedia page to find out yeah. what, what was going on. Guilty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I, I did too. Yeah. Did you guys see uh the Ray Kroc movie, The Founder. No, but I, I mean, I didn't have a chance to watch it before this, but I'm absolutely going to watch it. Man, I'll, I'll say that uh, I've seen it twice. It, it's fantastic. It coincidentally is shot in uh, Noonan, my hometown. Uh, so you'll, oh. if you watch that, you'll see my hometown there. I think Georgia subsidizes a lot of filming and stuff, but uh, neither here nor there. But I read an interview with. Um, Man, I don't know if it was the screenwriter or the director of that movie, but they said they uh, somebody played them uh, the song "Boom" like that, and they thought, "Man, that's an interesting story. We should do a movie about Ray Kroc." And then, it, wow. so that, like the the song was informed by the book, and then the movie, uh, you know, and then the song, you know. Uh, started the movie. Isn't that weird? That's yeah. And I'm, but I'm not shocked because that is that that song. It, what I like to say, it happens. There's probably there's very few of the songs on here that that I I don't think are just incredible stories. And he picks such yeah. interesting characters. And even the one song where he picks a, a character that's very popular and has lots of songs written about him, he comes at it from a different angle that's completely 
Interesting. I uh, this interesting is the word that kept coming up. I had to try to think of ad, you know, different adjectives, synonyms for yeah. the word interesting. Listening to this, yeah, it sounds the album sounds so good, and it's the things that he's doing are so hooky, despite the fact that he's telling stories that it almost doesn't matter unless you want to unless you want to engage in all of that, which I do because I'm a nerd and I like, you know, I like words and stories, but if you didn't, it's still a fantastic album. And I think that's, what's also brilliant about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So I was, I was looking at the charts. I always look at the chart positions of each of the records that we talk about. Uh I found this interesting that, um, this only peaked at number 66 in the U S. Wow. But if you look at other charts, so in the UK, this peaked at number 11. Mm-hmm. In Italy, number four. In Germany, number three. In huh. France, number five. So wow. what is it about What is it about the Europeans are still embracing Mark and his music, but right. the U.S. I guess because the U.S. people didn't hear money for nothing on this record. Probably so, yeah. And you know, I don't know. They're just they're they're done empire building, so they're focused on culture. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. But uh and man, he's a you know, I mean what how many times did Dire Straits sell out Wembley Stadium, man? Like, you know, like uh, yeah. two dozen. I mean, it was something ridiculous. Uh he's a you know, he was a mega star. And he was he was, you know, Dire Straits was a big deal here too, but it was nothing like like it was over there. So maybe he's just still, you know, just more popular. But it, it is kind of a, I don't know. There's something about it that is kind of European, even though almost all the people he's writing about are, I mean, these are American stories, you know, but um, yeah, it's just got that feel because of his voice, maybe. I don't know. And I think that might, because I, I think he is able to lend a different, perspective i mean even on the 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 first track that's very english he Mm -hmm. he's able to have a different a different take yeah right Uh, you know on all of it he's he's yeah they are in in most cases they're american stories but he's got he he just i'm assuming maybe from being europe european he has he he can take a different you know almost objective angle at it and look at it and, and completely different yeah, I think you're probably right, man. Uh, I had I had to look up the story for five fifteen uh, a.m. Also, yeah. Uh, oh, also, yeah. Because I mean, you could kind of, you know, I I'd, I'd, I'd always kind of put together what had happened, but I didn't really know if it was, you know, you know, fictional or or, or not. And I, I had to uh, at one point read about that. Yeah, let's jump into it. So let's let's go track by track. And um, so as a reminder, our scoring is going to be based on number of songs on the record. So Wayne, how many songs on this one? 14. Which means our top song is going to get 14 points. Next favorite song, 13 points on Dan to the lowest score of one. And um, so let's kick this off. This is uh, 5.15 a.m. Came up from Cockney Jags and flashy suits. Put your money in, pull the levers, watch them spin. Cash cows in all the 
So Adam, you you mentioned that this is um, this is based on some uh, some some story here, some mm-hmm. some actual events. Yep. Um, I had to look this one up. So um, there's there's some really good information on a website called DireStraitsBlog.com. Okay, yeah. This talks about a story of 1967 in northeast england where where mark grew up he was 17 at the time where there was a one-armed bandit murder Mm -hmm. and and the bandit uh, according to the blog says it it doesn't come from an amputeeism or even the crime involved but from the one-armed bandits nickname for slot machines in the nightclubs from which those involved in the killing collected their fortunes and of course there's the coal mining industry that's heavily referenced in this. And the victim was Angus Sibbett. I think mm-hmm. that I pronounce that right. Uh, and Mark said this, so I'll, I'll quote this and then you get, we, we can actually talk about the song itself. Uh, he says, this is partly about the murder of a fruit machine man on Tyne's Tyneside that figured very big when I was a young teenager. I can be slow to get around to writing songs. So he said, <laughs> said the body was in a huge jag and discovered by a pitman coming home from a night shift on his bicycle on a frozen morning. The nightclubs were moving into Newcastle. The Americanization of our culture comes later, but always comes. Hmm. So there, there you go. There's the, the, the quote from Mark. I remember reading that too. I must have, I must have looked at the same blog. Because yeah. I remember, it. man, the the thing that um, that he does so well, and he and does, you know, incredibly well on this song is using uh, just lingo um, to put you in a place. And a lot of the the mining lingo that he uses. I mean, I had to look some. I was looking through these lyrics uh, from the, the the PDF you guys sent of the lyrics because uh, I've yeah. long since lost the uh, you know the little sleeve for the the CD I had. Uh, and man, it's, it's really crazy how much of this, how much mining lingo we put. I mean, this last bit, like, like, um, tough viewers and crudders, child trappers and putters, the little foals and half marrows who push and pulled the barrows, the hot boys and the Raleigh way, man, that's all mining lingo. Yeah. And it's just, you are, you're just in there, man. And it, and, but it's, it, it just, it doesn't go by you as being sweaty and, enforced you know it just it, he's such a he's such a great writer just all of it just lays in there so elegantly but with such a uh, such a great picture yeah wayne what do you got on five fifteen a.m you know and like i said it's the facts the little facts he uses um you know like referencing the actual time that they discovered the body is the title of the song the type of Jaguar that the guy drove. Um, the one mm-hmm. thing I thought that was most interesting is everything that I read was all, almost entirely about the the two men who were tried and convicted of the murders. And he mm-hmm. comes at this focusing on the victim initially mm-hmm. and then rolls it as the story goes along into this, this area of England, this mining 
area with mm-hmm. these guys. I mean, he references black lung in the one verse that, um, you know, seems blow up or cracked black diamonds came hard one, uh, for a pittance and black lung. Like he, yeah. he flips it at the end and turns this whole yeah. thing into about this rugged life, uh, this dangerous work that these, you know, that this town is all about. And kind of, you know, after speaking of the victim and how he's made his money and even references that, you know, the killing was possibly related to this guy skimming money off of the slot machine take. And then he flips it into this whole thing about, about this area of England and and the the toils of these miners without you even knowing it just he just yeah. flips it right on you at the at towards the end of the song and creates a whole different mood. Yeah. Yeah. It is so cool, isn't it? Yeah, and Absolutely. musically it's 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 great. It's got this moody feel, but it still has that that bluesy, jazzy guitar that you that is so Mark Knopfler. Mm-hmm. Man, and and just uh, just the from I mean, man, just from go, it you're you're just in, man. I mean, just the sonically, like as soon as that thing starts, it's it always sounds good. And uh, maybe one of the reasons I've listened to this album so many times is that we would, even when my boys were babies, uh, when we were having dinner, we would just put this album. It would just always was the mood we wanted, and it just they just happened to be these terrific stories, you know. That's awesome. Uh, I will say this: longest song on the record, mm. clocking in at just just under six minutes. Oh man! Um, there are a few other five minute or longer songs on this album, which, um, of course, if you listen to Dire Straits, you already know that Mark is not afraid of a long song. Or yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, and I'm talking about Telegraph Road, for instance. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Um, let's get to it. Uh, scores. Adam, what's your score? 14. All right. Top song no, right out of the this gate. Man, it's it's got to be my favorite off this album. All right. This is my 11 and then Wayne. Eight. Okay. No. All right. And then, um, next song. Actually, we, we should have said that. I should have said this. Any... T- for your top five songs at the end, after you give the score, you need to go boom like that. (laughs) (laughs) Boom like that. That's what we should do. (laughs) All right. So next song is boom like that. All right. A crocodile, but I've spelt that way now. It's doggy dog, ready, red hand. Doggy dog, ready, red hand. Oh, it's doggy dog, ready, red hand. Clock star, boom like that. And um, Wayne, get, get, get us started on this one. You know, and what this is my favorite song off the record, and I think mm. it's it's the combination of this great story, but also the music on this one has a, I don't know, it has a little bit of a harder, faster, mm. kind of a rock, more rock and roll feel, but it's still in this in this interesting kind of. It's almost like a everything almost comes off in nature like a folk song. I think mainly from the storytelling aspect of it, but this one has a harder more faster edge. 
Um, but yeah. I love, I love again that he took this story about uh, Ray Kroc and the, the the founder of McDonald's, and he and he worked in. He uses this. There's this great sinisterness, you know, uh, to his vocals, really mm-hmm. painting the picture of this guy. I mean, I've only seen little bits of the founder, but the parts I have seen, it just feels to match up with the way he sings this, you know, references to rats and dog eat dog and uh, crocodiles and crocs. And he, he really, you really feel like he took this whole thing from these McDonald's brothers. Just he, he's, it's like he swept it right up out from under him and became this billionaire and the fat, you know, the founder of the, most successful, largest fast food chain in the world. And, but he mixes in these great facts. Like he was, he sold milkshake mixers. That was his thing. That's how he found all of this. Um, yeah. You know, and that line about sometimes you got to be an SOB if you want to make a dream reality. It just, like I say, yeah. this, he just has everything in this song and it, and it does have a little bit of a harder rock and roll edge to it. Yeah. The lyrics on this are just so great. I mean, I've got, I've got, multiple things highlighted um i'll just give one of my highlights the the wham bam you don't wait long shake fries patty you're gone yeah man it's so good man but yeah just these these boys have got this down right there ought to be uh ought to be one of these in every town yeah man oh it's so good and uh yeah i mean he got milkshake mixers into a rock song i mean it's just it really is just brilliant man yeah, there's. Uh, I love the dog eat dog already, right? And just the the hook of it, croc style, boom, right? and that lick. It's just it's everything's so hooky, but it's so well written, man. It's just it just punches, man. Yeah, Wayne, what do you got for a score? Did you already say uh, that? That was my favorite. That was my favorite song. I'd say the combination of music and lyrics, and like I say, this there's this great dark kind of this evil nature to his to his vocals. Yeah. You're supposed to say boom like that with your top. <laughs> I, I forgot the hook. Boom like that. Adam, what's your score? Number 12 for me. All right. This boom is, like that. Uh, this is my 13. Boom like that. All right. Nice. Um, all right. Next song is Sucker Row. What do you got, Wayne, for Sucker Row? Uh, you know, and it has this slow, dark pace, and it kind of it gave, had a real alt country feel to it. Um, and the beginning of the story, I'm, I'm listening, and it's it's got these images, but I'm not. It's, it has this vagueness to it. But when he really, when he gets into the, uh, he hits the punchline at the a beautiful. Vi- uh, beautiful vision and you can mm-hmm. completely tell that he's talking about Las Vegas and how it, mm-hmm. you know, and then you, then you can kind of go back into the beginning of the song and realize what he's talking, you know, Las Vegas was this small desert town with legalized gambling and prostitution, which is now can at night can be seen from space. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's pretty brilliant. Some of the lines in here are, I'm sorry, am I cutting you off? Wayne? Were you, were no, you? you're good. Okay. Um, I love the way he says some of this stuff, man, just in character, man. You know, 
you, know, you and me is getting organized. You know, yeah. it's just like we're like, man, we're, we got to we got to shake things up. Somebody's got to crack the whip around. Here. Somebody's got, yeah, yeah. Slick as grass, slick as grass through the goose. Yeah, <laughs> oh, it's so great, man. And that chorus when it, it just lifts, and you know, look down on Sakura, and the tallest trees from acorn to grow. Man, it's great. Just, yeah, just a, a what a cool song. Get another woman up in the cage who ain't over the hill. <laughs> Honey, you know the drill. Man, it's just his melodies are are just so interesting and, and just you know, we just feel like just musically searching all the time. Yeah, it's good. Um, this is my ten. Adam, what's your score? Um, man, this was six for me, which I, I you know something had to be down there. I guess right. this was it. I don't know. Sorry. Yeah. Wouldn't be an episode without our uh, guests having scores remorse. Scores remorse. <laughs> scores remorse. I like that. It's all good. Wayne, <laughs> what do you got the first score? Uh, seven. Okay. Mm. All right. Next song is the, the Troller Man song. All right. Dark is the night. I need a guiding light to keep me from foundering all. It's just to see you there at the end of my wandering back in the dark. And I'm just going to throw this over to Wayne to get started because um, my score is way lower for the song than your score. And, and to mm. me, just like uh, Boom Like That, it's the combination of the music and the story. Because um, this he could have gone all sea shanty and, and, mm-hmm. and kind of cliched it up and he, and he doesn't. So the music is just has this real great feel to it. And this, the story is uh, cause well, musically it has what that one thing I've talked about a lot of times when you have an acoustic r- uh, guitar rhythm, and then you put mm-hmm. this great electric lead over the top of it. It just, mm-hmm. it just is, a, it sounds so amazing. Um, yeah. but I, the, but then you look at this as a, every, every country with a coast has commercial fishermen, like yep. whether, I mean, he could be talking about England, you know, uh, Massachusetts, Canada, I, I mean, just anywhere there's a coast, there's these salty people who get up before the, the sun and take these boats out into the, to the unforgiving ocean to, yeah to bring back fish and that's, and it's, it's hard. It's dangerous. It doesn't sound like it makes a lot of money, but yet that's, that's who they are and what they do. And he captures that, especially in that first verse uh, about the boat, you know, and all the the lines about, you know, uh, scrubbing the keel and the scars on her belly. And he's, he just gets you, he just got me invested in this thing really quick. Yep. I agree, man. You you are you're just you're right there. You can smell fish as soon as this thing starts, man. Yeah, uh, and uh, it's just it's a great melody, and man, yeah, just some of the lines are just fantastic. I know all the people. There's nobody new. Soon we'll be leaving with the same old crew, and that uh, I guess what's the chorus or just a repeating bridge 
that that lift. The dark of the night. Yeah. The dark as the night. I need a God in life. It's just great, man. I mean, he's just so good. It's just not yeah. quite fair, is it? No, it uh, doesn't seem like it. But yeah, this is what we're four songs in, and I, I'm just like amazed by a guy who I was already amazed by. I know, man. It's uh, he's just he's he's a freak. He's dangerous. All right, score. All that being said, man, this was number two for me. I mean, I wow. Just, I know. I'm disappointed in myself. I just <laughs> something had to be there. I just I don't know. Wayne, yeah. your score. This is my 13. I, I just like I say, it's one of those ones that paints a picture and it really gets you invested in these in these people. Uh and I mean and there's like that line in there about the loan to pay off. It I mean it really kind of yeah. creates that 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 small town farmer feel. I mean, these guys you know, spend all this money and then there's all this downtime where they're just using that money that they spent before and they have to take a loan to do. And I, we don't, we'll, we'll sit down with a, with a basket of fish and chips and not think twice about it. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a literally sort of, you know, it's life and death, man. Yeah. Wayne, did you say your score? This is a 13. That's my second favorite. Okay. And then I'm in the middle of the pack. This is my seven. Mm, nice. All right. Next song. Let's go back to Tupelo. Yeah, man. Yeah. The storylines they give you are just not ringing true. Oh, it's a ways to go. Back to Tupelo. Another story song, and this is um, not the first time that Mark has sung about Elvis. Nope. Calling Elvis is on the 1991 Dire Straits record on every street. So, you know, that actually got cut by a bluegrass band uh, this past year. Really? Uh, so, yeah, the Lonesome River Band did a cover of uh, Calling Elvis. Interesting. Cool. Check that out. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was. Um, Man, one of my in talk, I'm talking to Glenn Wharf yesterday. I was asking him a couple of things about um, just the record. I told him I was doing this, and I thought, man, have you got anything interesting? You know, to tell me. And he did say a few things, uh, but cool. one of the things that I mentioned to him was that there's a bass note uh, on this song going into that. Just when they get into the, uh, I guess you would call it a chorus, back to Tupelo, the first time it sort of makes that turn out of the minors. And Glenn does, he's almost just by himself, and he just hits this one note that's leading you, lets you know you're going somewhere and you don't quite know where it's going. And it's it's like being on the log ride where you're just – like the Splash Waterfalls log ride yeah. where you just, you're just getting to the top and you can't see uh, what's over the hill yet. And Glenn just, uh, man, he just, he just hits this note that seems like it's not, you just kind of, it's coming out of nowhere and it just leads you into that. So, well, it's a really beautiful moment on this song. Yeah. And what a cool thing to write about, man. Just to, you know, Tom Parker yeah. and the, the whole thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. This is, I mean, whereas a lot of the songs are are these much more obscure or, or um, less well-known or interesting, this is obviously, mm-hmm. Elvis is possibly the most famous person who's ever lived, but he yeah. still found a way to, 
to put this from a different angle, like I had yeah. read before that Elvis wanted to be a serious actor like Frank Sinatra, you know, right. and he, but he, Colonel Parker kept pushing him into these, these exploitive, vapid musicals where mm-hmm. he's always a race car driver or a jet boat, right. something. He's always, the, you know, and he wanted to do, so even the king of rock and roll who would, uh, who would appear on the outside to have everything he wants had unfulfilled dreams. Like I just right. thought that was absolutely brilliant. And he, once again, he gets in these little flat facts, the lying Dutchman. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know if yeah. many yeah. people realize that Colonel Parker had um, an immigration status problem. He couldn't leave the country. That's why Elvis, besides his trip to Europe in the army, didn't tour outside of America yeah. where he could have literally made billions of dollars. I did not know that. No, I didn't either. Man, that's interesting. Yeah, man. Yeah, you, you can still be Marlon Brando and the king of rock and roll. It's so good, man. Yeah, you must have. Yeah, you must have Hollywood. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go, going to what Wayne was going to say of the 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 lines of the storylines are giving you are just not ringing true. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally get that. It's a ways to go, Baladon. Yeah, man, and the, this, yeah, the way that that resolves, it's just, it's interesting, man. I'm just mu- musically, just, you know, he's, uh, Knopfler just finds unusual ways to keep you invested in what, what could be kind of a linear story song, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, man, it's, it's one of my, well, I mean, I say it's one of my favorites. I mean, it's number five for me, but I mean, what does that say? <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's just I had a hard time with this man. I'll be honest. Yeah, I gave it a six. I'd say I I think maybe it it might have been uh it just it's Phil it's there's just so many great stories in here. But yeah, I I really love the fact that he was able to take this a uh, much more uh, obviously super well known character, you know, person uh, and and find a different angle to to, to tell a story mm-hmm. from. I just thought that was brilliant. But I gave it a six. Yeah. This is and yeah. this is my three. Yeah. Uh, all right. No, no booms like no boom like that for uh, for this. <laughs> no, one. but I got I got a boom like that for the next one. Here's uh, our Shangri La. So this is this is my top song. I I love I love this. Oh, nice. There's and I don't really have a whole lot of notes to this. Every time that this would come on, this would be one of those songs that I just kind of I just kind of let it play. Like it's there's there's a mood to it. It's got a little organ starting the song off. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, I I love the the line of uh, "This is all the heaven we've got right here, where we are in our Shangri La." It's, uh, and yeah. I don't know if he is writing this about 
So this was, we didn't even talk about this. So this was recorded at Shangri-La, which, which is right. um, there in California. Uh, it's actually owned by Rick Rubin now. I think Rick bought it sometime in the, what, 2011, some, somewhere in that. that, that. Mm-hmm. And there's been a lot of, of things that have been recorded there dating back to this is where the band um, did a lot, did a lot yep. of, uh, I don't, did they do any recording at Shangri-La or was it just kind of a rehearsal space? They, I don't know. They owned it for a while. So I, I think they probably just smoked a lot of dope there, but I mean, they, they might've done some work too. I don't know, but it was, it, I think it was uh, in their possession yeah. for a while. Yeah. According to, according to Glenn and Glenn also said uh, when, when they went out there, uh, well, they were looking for a place that they could kind of hole up <clears throat> and live for, you know, a few, a couple sure. of months uh, to make this record, uh, just to kind of all just be there and, and have no other focus and objective than, than this record. And they had a few different studios in mind. Uh, and this is the one they decided to go with. And Chuck Ainley was the uh, engineer and um, it was a brilliant engineer and, he went out there a couple of days before the band did. And I don't, I don't know who the owner was then. Uh, uh, Glenn did, but uh, he, I don't think he told me the guy's name, but anyway, he said they went out, they went out there and he said that it was, or Chuck said it was just, I mean, uh, a mess that it was a mess. Nothing was working I mean, I mean, there were just so many buses and channels on the board that weren't working. It was just, it was not, up and running. And so he was out there for three days pulling his hair out. And then the band got there and Glenn said it was two, two or at least two full days. He thought it might've been three full days that there was no work except watching Chuck crawl up under the board with a headlamp and a soldering iron and a screwdriver and try to get the studio back up and running. And so for, for two or three days, they're just kind of waiting around to get the place functional. And he said, finally, he got it up and running and they went to work, but he said without Chuck Ainley's, he called it a Herculean effort uh, that the album would not have. He said they were actually even thinking about going to um, um, Jackson Brown's studio because they were just, at some point they were just like, this is, this is not going to work. We're not going to be able to record here. And then they, they got it going. Wow. That's awesome. I love those yeah. kind of stories. And he also said that there was a, the guy that, uh, that owned it, and ran it, um, lived in a little barn, uh, behind the studio. And that the, the barn is the actual barn, uh, where they shot, uh, well, you know, uh, uh, filmed Mr. Ed, like the barn that you see Mr. Ed in, in the television show is the barn that was behind uh, Shangri-La studio where the owner was living at the time. Was that, was, was that, that also was, where they filmed the last waltz? I mean, it may have been. I don't know. It may have been. I didn't do enough research on the actual shame. Uh, <laughs> can't do everything. Um, all right, Wayne, what, what, what do you got on this one? Well, you know, it's a funny story on this one is, <clears throat> so I had sent my scores in and I went to sat down to write my notes and I'm looking at on my notebook and it says 11 and I'm like, wow, that, that seems high. And so I, I <laughs> put that song on my headphones and I, instantly remembered why I, I, I put it so high. It, 
it is all for the guitar work. And there's, yeah. and I don't know if anybody else hears it, but there's a little Dick Dale like surf yes. sound in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And it just, so even though the, all these other stories have been very specific um, as far as who they're about and with all these, 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 you know, historical accurately, you know, details, this is a little more elusive. It feels a little more personal, but it absolutely paints this picture. Like that's why I wore the t-shirt is because I can just see a guy sitting on, you know, laying on the beach, you know, looking at the Pacific ocean as the sun setting next to the, the person that he loves, knowing that this is as good as it gets. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm with you. Just the, the, the feel of this song. It just, it just feels good every time you hear it. That's what I said. It's, it's, it's a mood piece. Yeah, it's a mood piece. Yeah, and uh, and talking about the guitar, I, I don't. Uh, uh, Richard didn't verify this, and I, uh, I I feel like I've been meaning to ask him this for fifteen years and have not asked him. But it just knowing knowing Richard's uh, playing so well, I think it's Richard playing the solos in this. It just mm. sounds like. Richard to me more than it does Mark and they can sound similar at times, but it sounds like Richard to me. So I wonder if uh, somebody will hear this and verify or I guess I could call Richard, but, (laughs) uh, but it sounds, it sounds more like Richard than Mark, but man, it's beautiful guitar playing, man. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is my tops song. Boom. Like that. Oh, nice. All right. I was, I had 11, I had 11 also. Okay. And then Wayne? Yeah, I have 11. All right. Next song is Everybody Pays. All those directions which we never took To go our different ways Who went and wrote the oldest story in the book Everybody Pays Uh, I do love this song, up tempo. Got uh, got the sage wise elder telling a young buck of some sort some good advice, and um, yeah. And even though he uses it with the uh, the story of maybe you know an older gambler talking to a younger gambler, I think you could you could definitely not necessarily just think about the quote unquote gambler, but just. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's wanting to to take some risks in life, uh, it's, there's some good advice there. It, it, I always thought about um, you know musicians on Broadway. Like whenever I heard this song, and I, I know that's not what it's about, but the, the the it applied so well to that situation and that uh, that undertaking, and yeah. and you know uh, it that that's what always came to mind, and it always sort of rang true even for that situation, you know about the. You know, everybody pays to play. Uh, you know, he's playing one of these big saloons on Maine. You know, it just always felt like I always, uh, I always like to think about it as a as an older musician talking to a talking to a young guitar slinger, going, "Yeah, here's what you do, man. This is what, the drill." Yeah what what is he referring to? Where the the lyric of, "Yeah, you ought to stay right where you are in Sawdust Land." What is Sawdust Land? Anyone know? I felt like to me it was like a, like a local honky tonk bar, yeah. like some just you know play. We're back when you play for fun. 
when you right. that's you know you have a job but on friday and saturday nights you get your your buddies together and you get up yeah and, you, and your 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 country or rock stars for the weekend at the barbecue joint man you like you're then you're the you're the yeah you're the you're the big guys at the you know at the barbecue place the barbecue place with the little pork pies that's kind of what it's that's kind of what it rang you know it rang like that for me but you know um i like it Wayne, you got anything else on this one? And to me, I think my scores on the lower half. Um, I I think it's the organ. There's so much organ in it initially that it gave it kind of a different sound until he starts singing. Mark Mark Knopfler has. I wouldn't. I don't know how it necessarily unique, but it's recognizable. When I hear Mark Knopfler sing, I instantly know. Yeah. So, but to me, the story had a. Uh, I guess it it felt a little. I guess it felt a little flat. I mean, cowboys and hobos and mm-hmm. and and country singers all, you know, <laughs> things are tough all over. Every everybody's, you know, everybody's got it. It's not as easy as it looks. Right. No matter what you're doing. So it just, I guess, as far as uh, coming off of all these really great stories with these unique perspectives and everything, I guess it just wasn't. It didn't have all that, all that the luster of some of that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I still, I still really dig the song. I feel, I feel like he's still knocking it out uh, mm-hmm. this is my 12 oh yeah nice wow and wayne what was your score a five all right uh, and a, a four for me and i mean i do uh, it's got one of my favorite opening lines of of the album which is i got shot off my horse so what i'm up again <laughs> I, lo- I, I love it you're just you're just man he has such a way of just you're in you start you like you jump in on like chapter three you know yep uh, yep i love it all right, next song is Sung Song for Sunny Liston. Mm-hmm. Didn't like him and he didn't like them. Black Cadillac, alligator boots, money in the pockets of a short skin suits. Some say the bed took a flop. They couldn't believe it when they saw him drop. He had a left like Henry Samuel, a right like Betty Bamelan. Where the muggers in the dark and dread, and all them sluggers went down like lead. Man, I, I have uh, I have probably been, so much of what I've done in the past ten years has probably been informed off of this guitar part on this song. <laughs> that uh, I'm probably ashamed. Uh, I ought to be ashamed. I'm not actually, but uh, man, it's just <laughs> I love I love the guitar on this, and then obviously the. Uh, you know, the way he sings about the way he tells his story, man. But it's just, man, it is, it's, it's, there's a darkness and a toughness, a toughness to this thing that is oh, just, it's just infectious. Yeah. And it's got that, that great chugging blues folk rhythm. I mean, it just, it just fits this, this story yeah. to a T. Yeah. Uh, and then, like I say, this is one that's, for me, the score is all about the story. He takes this, this lesser, I mean, I think Sonny Liston is largely known for the second fight with Ali, where everybody believed that he took a dive early in, in it. And so there's, I think he's largely been forgotten. And there's, to, to find out that there is such an interesting story behind this behind this guy. I mean, yeah. uh, I did the, I did the, the uh, addition with his, his mother had a child before she met his father. His father had 13 children bef- from his first wife, and they together had 12. So that's 
26 children. Oh, wow. And he is the second, once again, it's these historical facts, he is the second youngest. Um, his father was incredibly abusive and left scars on him that lasted into adulthood. Mm. His mom left it with his some of his siblings and moved to St. Louis, where he stayed with his father until he finally couldn't take it anymore and sold something or did something for money and ran off. I think he, he stole all the pecans out of his neighbor's tree and sold them for the money to go to St. Louis. Um, he's mixed up with thugs and, you know, he's beating people up for money. This, this, all of this stuff is, uh, you know, and even towards the end um, where he, the, his, his death is a mystery. He was deathly afraid of needles by many people's accounts. Yet he's found with a hair, you know, with heroin mm. Um and it's just there's, but I mean, from there's, I have, I highlighted almost everything, but I mean, like right. the civil rights leaders, because he was, uh, he was involved with organized crime. Floyd Patterson would give him a shot forever until he had to, he had to take it to the media and start, and start really to, to, to there to get a fight for the championship. Boxing writers didn't like him. Mm -hmm. uh, civil rights leaders didn't want him to be the heavyweight champion of the world because of the, the connotations it would, you know, what it would do to their movement. It, right. And and all of this is fit into this song somewhere. And it's, and it, what, I mean, I ended up reading the entire Wikipedia page on Sonny Liston. It's, really? it's absolutely fascinating. And he, he, he just took the right, like the he was not popular when he did win the championship. People booed when he won. Wow. He was, was not liked and and like i say he he finds a way to mix all of this in here with this great blues rock you know bluesy folk kind of uh rhythm to it that just this is just uh, this this is the one that just knocked me for a loop this is just brilliant yeah it How is, is not is. a biopic made uh, about sunny well he, I, there is one it's called song a song for sunny liston i if you, uh, i mean this song in and of itself is <laughs> a, a, a ringing you know is it's, it's a musical biopic. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, that's a man like, like the other stuff on this, on this album, man, it just, you do, you get a full, you really get a full picture. Yeah. And Adam, you, you mentioned earlier where you're like, you know, probably the, the, the greatest living songwriter and he's writing about, you know, a boxer. Well, yeah, my immediate thoughts were, well, you know, Dylan wrote about hurricane. Uh-huh as well so yeah and and um uh, there's a friend of mine a, a songwriter named paul kennerly um who is uh just a wonderful human being but a brilliant songwriter and is very good friends with mark says says there's no bigger bob dylan fan than mark knopfler like that's 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 his guy you know yeah. uh, and I, that's probably informed his pursuit of becoming you know such a masterful storyteller and uh, and uh, probably, probably, you know, who knows? Maybe Sonny Liston was inspired by a Hurricane, you know? Yeah, yeah. All right, Wayne, what do you got for score? Oh, uh, twelve. Okay, Adam, ten for me. All right, this is my eight. All right, next song, Whoop de Doo. Yeah. The way I used to. Whoop de doo. Whoop de doo. 
And my only notes on here is what exactly is a tickety boo? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know what that is. Rhymes with whoop de doo. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I think that's sometimes, sometimes you got to make something fit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of uh, notes on this one. Um, got it? You guys, got anything? I'll tell you what I thought was interesting is that it's the only thing on here that's just kind of a, it, as far as I can tell, like a straight ahead, like a breakup song, you know? Oh yeah. It's, and it's a breakup song. And it's just, I don't, there's nothing, nothing else on here, nothing else on here like that. And it's, uh, you know, it's just, it's, man, it's, it's well done. I mean, if it, had, you know, I'm, I'm, if, country artist could have cut it and it would have fit in, you know, it would have fit in with the, you know, that kind of, that kind of repertoire. But, um, I, I love it, man. It wasn't, it wasn't super high up on my list, but, uh, just as straight, straight ahead, you know, breakup songwriting, man, it's a, it's a pretty, it's a wonderful example. Yeah. This was my least favorite song. Mm-hmm. Um, Wayne, what do you got? I would say the, my bottom four, I could have interchanged them around and around. I think to me, um, I, I, in a way I like the contrast between the title whoop de doo and then the, and the, and the tone of the, of the, of it musically. It's completely, it's completely the opposite. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But I'm glad you're gone slash. Not really is, is fairly, yeah. you know, that's been, that's been done several times. So I guess, and also I've, I've said this before when you come off a song, I really like, there's always a, a high bar that's been set and it, mm-hmm. it, there's no way it was going to be able to, to, to match it. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's a very, it's just a very different um, song for this record, but maybe, you know, maybe uh, rounds it out nicely. And it's, it's one of the few that you can hear pedal steel on, you know, but yeah, it's just that kind of, that kind of tune, I think, you know. Yeah. Wayne, what's your score? A four. All right. And Adam? Three for me. Next song is Postcards from Paraguay. A bit of more than I could chew. I had the power to sign the checks. It wasn't difficult to do. I couldn't stand the face of music. There's so many reasons why I won't be sending postcards from. I, I love this lick. Uh, it's just such a cool guitar. Like I had to like find a video. I mean, this was years ago, not recently, but I had to look for a video of him playing this just to see it being played. I just I couldn't, I, you know, it just didn't make sense in my brain or in my hands. It man and the this the as a character it's just awesome man just the this just high crimes you know it just uh, from what I can tell it's a it's a you know this money laundering or uh, um, yeah Ponzi scheme or yeah. something mm-hmm. you know he didn't because even the line about a, a great big mountain of dough when you rob a bank you just get a bag full of cash I mean right. to get a mountain full of dough you need yeah, you need a pencil. No, this is this is high finance crime. Yeah, yeah, and so I love I love that it's you know this guy 
escapes to South America. So he, so musically, he puts this Spanish guitar in there with this, mm-hmm. with these great, with these great electric uh, f- leads. So it doesn't. So he stays out of getting corny. It sounds. Yeah. It sounds like exciting. It sounds mm-hmm. perfect. Yeah. Um, and I like I say I love how he just took these details and, and from the very beginning he's painting this picture, but it's it's leaving a lot of open space for you to fill in the rest. I mean, I had the power to sign the checks, and then next thing you know, I had robbed the bank. Um, yeah. And I, I I never meant to be a cheater, but I you know he's but robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, and I'm just not the kind of guy to face the music. And so yeah. postcards from Paraguay. Uh, it yeah. just, like I say, he tells a great story. He, he, it's minimalistic though. There's, there's, there's great details, but there's not a ton of them so that the picture has, it, it kind of, it just opens up in your own mind. Yeah. I, I, I love this, the stuff that he does throw at you and the, and just the, the language that he chooses. It's just, it's all, it's almost it's funny, kind of, you know. There's a, there's yeah, so there's a humor to it. Compañero and cheerio. <laughs> I mean, he's just he, he's like, see ya, see you guys. Got your money. Good luck finding me. I've got a quote from Knopfler about this song. Oh, nice. He said, "I imagine some errant individuals doing a runner with the stolen loot." Someone suggested to me recently that the album is partly about the honest toiler versus those who thrive on ill-gotten gains. Perhaps the subject has been more on my mind in these days of corporate crime. Mm. That was 2004 when he said that. Yeah, wow. Imagine if he'd written it in 2000. (laughs) (laughs) It would be another another 14-minute song, probably. (laughs) That's right. Another telegraph road. Yeah. All right. uh, Scores. Wayne, what do you got? Nine. Adam? Eight for me. All right. This is my five. Mm-hmm. All right. Next song, All That Matters. All That Matters. My darling boy, my darling boy. All of my sunshine and all of my joy. You're all that matters. Well, I can't stop the pain when it calls in the man. You guys familiar with the version of this on the live album with Emilio? I'm not. No. Real life road running. It's great. Um, but as Wayne reminds me all the time, I have to rank the version on the current album we're talking about. <laughs> That's true. Um, the live version is way better because Emmy Lou is on it. Sure, she makes things better, man. That's what she does. She yeah. really does. Yeah. She really does. Uh, there's also a version of Shangri-La on that live album that I didn't mention her. Oh, man. I guess I need to listen to that. Yeah, it's it's good. Um, yeah. I don't have a whole, there's not a whole lot lyrically yeah. on this one. It's just well, a it's, beautifully simple yeah. song. Yeah. Yeah. It's, just, yeah. it's, 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 it's it only you feel it like you just, you know, it's just, it's, it seems heartfelt and sweet. And, uh, you know, it's, it's probably the prettiest song, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's two folk. There's no electric guitar. <laughs> um, I love my daughter. I love my son. I love my wife. Once again, like it's been, and it's it's following a Ponzi scheme gone wrong, where the guy escapes with the money to South America. So it's, yeah. just, it's not as sexy. It's yeah, definitely it's, not as sexy. Uh, yeah, it's coming off a pretty exciting, uh, exciting deal there. Yeah, yeah. I, I love that little bridge, though. I can't stop the pain when it goes. Na, 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 na. Um, yeah, it's a pretty song. It's a lullaby, man. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. Uh, this is my six. Adam, your score? A nine for me. I'm sentimental. Right, Wayne? Yeah, well, it's all I, good. I'm obviously completely heartless. I gave it a three. <laughs> We're not completely heartless. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. One. Not completely. Mostly heartless. Yeah. <laughs> we, we we did get called out on a, on our, um, our uh, most listened episode we did get called out by rick brantley for being heartless bastard so <laughs> well what else did he say about you wayne that lack grace uh, and black grace and breakups uh, i think that's yeah. <laughs> he remembered that well uh you know to be fair he's probably said that about a lot of people <laughs> <laughs> i think so i think yeah. so all right yeah. uh next song stand up guy Ladies and gentlemen, all these bottles don't have to tell you, friends. These days of miracles don't come falling from the sky. Raise your glasses to the doctor, to a stand-up guy. I'm going to just throw this over to Adam because uh, your score is, uh, is higher than the two of us. I mean, I just, I just love this song. It's like a, it's, it's like a short film to me. I can, man, I can, I can smell it and see it. It's just, I love the language of it and just the, the, it's the, the shiftiness and the grifter. Uh, I, I, I like I just like everything about it, man. I love it, and 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 musically, it's satisfying too, to me. Yeah, the the first time I listened to it, I'm like, is this a song about Viagra? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there might need to be a remake. A little double uh, entendre going on there, right? Um, Maybe well, you know, who knows? Maybe Wayne, what what do you got? Um, well. I had many of the same criticisms as the previous song as far as no electric guitar and too mm. much folk. But the song, all the references to bottles, glasses, whiskey, mm. um, alcohol, I, it definitely felt like a, it was telling a story of, you know, how alcohol makes you can make you that that stand up guy, the center of attention yeah. that makes you funnier, happier, you know, all of the things that it really doesn't do. But like I say, it. It's missing on uh, the electric guitar, which I, I think is just so s- s- linked to Mark Knopfler that, that that by itself hurts it for me. Yeah, okay. yeah, I get that. Um, I, I just I, I envision you know the snake oil salesman and, and uh, his little his little group you know traveling around in a in a in a in a wagon selling their goods you know from town to town and uh, uh and then they're going to get him on the radio and kind of make a big deal out of it and this one guy who's just kind of the you know just kind of a spoke in the wheel 
that's singing about the the doctor to the other guys going, hey, man, you know, I love that line about we was just going through the motions till the doctor came along, you know, like we, <laughs> we didn't have anything go until he came up with his snake oil and got us, you know, got us really rolling. And now we're cooking. We're going to be on the radio. Uh, it's it's just really interesting to me. Yeah. All right. Scores. Adam, what do you got? I'm pretty high up there, man. This was a 13 for me. Ooh. All right. Yeah. Wayne. Uh, wow. Well, I, I'm going to. I'm going to do what he did to a uh, Trollerman <laughs> song and yeah, I gave it a two. <laughs> we're, we're even All right. now. <laughs> All right. This is my four. All right. All Next right. song is Donegan's Gone. This was you. You did you did the research, Wayne, on uh, Sunny Liston. I I went down a, a Donegan, Lonnie Donegan. I went through his uh, his his Wikipedia page. So he was oh, a nice. British skiffle singer, yeah, skiffle and, and songwriter. He was referred to as the King of Skiffle. Mm-hmm. Like he was based off of what I read, he was super popular in England. And before the Beatles really broke out, he was probably Britain's most successful recording act. Yeah, he was a, a huge wow. deal. And uh, Kennerly, the uh, gentleman I mentioned earlier, is friends with Mark. They're you know they're the same age, and and uh, you know when and when in talking about this album because I didn't know who Lonnie Donegan uh, was either. And and Paul yeah. said what you just said that he I mean he was the biggest thing going. He's like kids were buying guitars and learning to play guitar because of Lonnie Donegan. I mean he was a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah. And and who knows, he may have inspired John Lennon and George Harrison oh, yeah. to pick up. No, I think I think I think it's probably uh it had to have yeah. You know, Skipple was a big deal and he was the Skipple King, you know, and just, it's just, just a, he was the guy. And I love the way this, this song sounds too, man. I love the slide on it and I love just uh, the, the playing is fantastic. And phonet- phonetically, there's just something really great about Donegan's Gone. <laughs> you know, just, uh, just as a, just as a line, it's just, uh, it just rolls, man. Yeah. Wayne, you got anything on this one? Um, I think the what I, I gave this is my least favorite. Um, musically, it it's probably more uh, skiffle than I would have recognized. It sounded Appalachian Jug Band to yeah. me. Uh, but I think what ultimately ultimately what brought it down is I don't find out enough about Lonnie Donegan mm. like I did Sonny Liston uh, and and the One Arm Bandit Murders. I guess he didn't. There wasn't enough in here to get me as interested as I, as I know he has the, as he has the ability to do. Yeah, that's true. It's not, there's not a lot of information about the guy. And I think a lot of the, like a lot of the things in the, a lot of the things in the verses are things out of songs that Lonnie Donegan recorded. You know, they're just like titles or, or lines out of his popular songs. It's really just like a, more of a tribute than like a, you know, like you said, a biopic, like he'd like the others are, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. All right, this is my two, Wayne. This was my one. All right, and then Adam. This was a, this was seven for me, and I, you know, I don't, I, I, I can't explain it. 
It's all good. All right. We're going to wrap this up. Last song is Don't Crash the Ambulance. Got his cojones on my desk in there. Made into a souvenir. Set of cufflinks. Nice pair. The rest of him someplace up here. Sometimes you got to put a shoulder to the door. Not so fast, Junior. Listen to your pa here, son. I'm handing over to you. Don't crash the ambulance. Whatever you do. And um, what a great line. Uh, yeah. yeah, I know. And this is, uh, from what I gathered, this is a song about Bush Sr. telling... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's based on the time that it was recorded. It absolutely has to. The reference yeah. to Junior yeah. and Pa. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just there's so many references that make it clear. Yeah, man. And, and this was... I, I had this as number one. And when I was listening back to it, I, I just... I, I feel like I'm wrong. Uh, it's so I couldn't good. agree with you more. This is the one I wish I had an extra 13 or 14. I would have loved, I love this yeah. song. I love the reference to the ambulance because like I had, we had done a Warren Zevon and I made oh, the right. statement that the new American, you know, the new, Amer- the Holy American Trinity is lawyers, guns and yeah. money. And that's yeah, what's in right. the ambulance. And it's, right. you know, and it's go, we're sending it all over the world to, to, to fix, you know, to clean up all of these incidences, whether it's yeah. oil or regardless of what it is. And the, there's these great, you know, the references to the button, um, love, some references love, to, yeah. you know, despots with medals on their chest. Um, and yeah. then it, then the line, the line I love that works so well with don't crash the ambulance is, is basically don't pick a fight. You can't win. Never invade China. Yeah. Yeah. Don't ever invade China. Yeah. And I love the, uh, uh, yeah, when he's talking about the buttons and he, cause that, yeah, that one, you know, that one, right. That's the whole shooting match. That one right there. Yeah. Don't, you know, don't press that one. That's the whole shooting match. Yeah. Uh, no, it's so good. And he talks about, you know, going down South and the trash collection. And he's like, you got the guy's cojones somewhere. Yeah. You know, that's a Stealing elections. It's, I mean, that, that, yeah. that part, the voodoo way thing, very, had a very Noreg, Noriega feel to it. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it yeah. There's just, and then, but there's this mariachi kind of feel to it that mm-hmm. that gives it more of a it, it gave it like like a Clint Eastwood spaghetti western feel to it. I mean, this whole thing. Well, I was wondering if it if it wasn't like uh, Tejano, you know, kind of because you know they're yeah, Texas yeah, they're both guys, Texas guys, yeah, and they're kind of doing their good old boy, you know, Texas thing, going, yeah, come over here, bud. Let me let me tell you how to let me tell you how you do this, you know. Uh, and yeah, they're walking him around the. Showing them, you know, what's he say about the aircraft carriers? You know, like when they're talking about oil, it's uh, well, that's what just, you scared him off with, yeah. you know, aircraft carriers in his ass. He had to go, yeah, yeah, that's right. a yeah, couple aircraft, aircraft carriers in his ass, yeah. yeah. Well, and the line right before that is everybody knows the 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 big Texas tagline of don't mess with Texas. Well, not- well he he says you can't mess with oil and gas. Yeah, but then when you but right. it's funny as you look at the the references to aircraft carriers, medals on his chest, gas masks, that's very Saddam Hussein. Like Yeah, right. At one minute this yeah. 
we don't, we don't, let's not mess with oil and gas and we'll stick a couple of aircraft carriers in his ass. And one minute yeah. he's, he's our buddy. And the next minute he's a despot hiding in a hole because the lawyer's guns and monies have been set on him. The ambulance is chasing him. And I like the thing about it. I got a whistle in there for attracting attention. It, man, it's, it's brilliant. I think I probably could have changed this to something higher and moved something else down if I if I had thought about it again. I tried not to think about it too hard because it was so hard to figure out a way to um, maneuver these in a list. But we, we yeah. get it. <laughs> we get it. It's a brilliant song, man. All right, this is my nine, Wayne. Ten, and this is Adam's lowest score. I guess Wayne, that this is um, this is payback for us tanking a few of <laughs> Adam's top songs uh, for the scores. Yeah, I will say this: I think that based off of us doing this episode, I'm um, I'm going to be listening to some other Mark oh, yeah. Knopfler solo records for sure. All right. Um, so this is where I usually say, did we miss anything? Did we cover everything? I think we got it. I think we got it. All right. So let's, let's figure out top five. Here we go. Any guesses on number one? Boom like that. Boom like that. Average score of 13. Number two, R Shangri-La average score of 12, 515 AM. Average score of 11. That's our third. Fourth, Song for Sonny Liston. And then Sucker Row. That's uh, That rounds out our top five. So, um, Adam Tank. Trollerman song. So, um, sorry, Adam. We tanked stand-up guy for you. <laughs> you had it coming. Uh, I, knew, I knew it was going to happen and, on one um, of these. But, Wayne, uh, Adam tanked uh, Don't Crash the Ambulance for us. So. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I feel good. bad. It's okay. All right. <laughs> well, this has been a lot of fun, Adam. Absolutely. Hey, I really enjoyed talking with you guys about this record and, and just in general. Yeah. So uh, remind our listeners where they can find all the happenings of Adam Wright. Um, you can go to adamwrightsongs.com. Uh, and then all of the, uh, you know, social media sites, if you dare, uh, I think I'm on there as Adam Wright songs. Mostly. I'm not sure. Uh, I'm around. You're around. Or you can come to Nashville. <laughs> not that there's a whole lot going on right now, no. but, uh, there, hopefully there will be this time next year. You know? Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. All right. Um, so, so last question we ask all of our guests, um, who do you know that I don't know that should come on our podcast to talk about one of their favorite records? Oh, golly. Um, did you guys do Stephanie Lambring? We did. Yeah. Okay. Okay. She's, uh, the, she's really good friends with my wife, Shannon. Yes. So she's always at the top of my list. And that album of hers is just so great. So and, good. Um, yeah. Yeah. She's, she's such a great writer. Um, you know, uh, there's a guy named uh, Mondo Signs that is really good. Uh, who's a friend of mine. Um, there's a guy named John Bird that I just love dearly. And uh, it's kind of a, you know, country. Uh, well, he is. He's a, he's a country singer songwriter and just a fantastic human being. Um, he would be great too. All right. Well, uh, yeah. 
we'll we'll do we'll do some checking on that all right let's wrap yeah. this up so as a reminder you can find all of our old episodes by going to recordsrevisitpodcast.com of course we're on the socials as well uh, you can find me on the facebook page for records revisit podcast or twitter at podcast records wayne is on the instagram where can they find us there at records revisited podcast and of course, you can find us on all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, Spotify, Google Podcasts, etc. And of course, please go subscribe and rate or review us. So thanks for listening. Please go support the arts. Go to a live show. You know the drill on that. It's not really happening, but definitely go support your favorite musicians with any of the live streams that they're doing. Buy a t-shirt of the band. Buy a record. I would say go visit a record store, but, you know, just do it safely. Wear a mask. You know the drill. Or um, just go support your favorite musicians and buy a record off their website. Maybe one that's called um, I Win. Here we go. There you go. We are Records (laughs) Revisited, and we are out. Out. Out.